this podcast drew conway from alluvium in this podcast in this podcast drew conway from alluvium talks about his journey creating an iot data analytics startup in an industrial space so stay tuned so welcome everyone to another episode of future of data podcast today we have with us uh, drew conway and as you all recall it's a second session with drew and in our previous conversation we talked about the social aspect of data science the how to build up a, a kind of social responsibility group and how to sort of create a very good uh, strategy and culture within an organization to create a connected data science um, uh, society so today uh, we are off to another interesting journey with drew uh, and his that's his entrepreneurial uh, stint on his iot startup so uh, for everyone joining for the first time here's a brief bio on drew so drew is a ceo and founder of uh, alluvium is a leading expert in application of computation uh, methods to social and behavioral problems at large scale drew has been writing speaking about the roles of data and the discipline of data science in industry government and academia for several years drew has advised and consulted companies across many industries ranging from fledgling startups to fortune 100 companies as well as academic institutions and government agencies at all levels drew started his career as a counter terrorism as a computational social scientist in us intelligence community so drew welcome to the podcast great it's good to be back beautiful so um, i think last time i was i was i was trying to connect the dots counter terrorism uh, to iot startup Right. Um, can you bridge that gap for us? Yeah, um, I know. At first, at first blush, it, it probably seems like a, a, a long walk around, but I promise there is a uh, there is a through line. And and so just to talk a little bit about kind of where I started. So you know, as you mentioned in the bio, I started my career as a computational social scientist in the U.S. intelligence community. Um, I suspect very strongly that the people who have the same job that I did. 15 years ago are probably called data scientists mm-hmm. um but the term didn't exist then the career path didn't exist then and and what i was recruited into the community to think about was you know how do you use the tools of math and computer science and statistics to build things that could help uh men and women out in the field make better decisions from data all right and so think about the time frame of when i was working in the intel community um there was a heavy focus on uh the conflict theaters in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Hmm. And so we had uh what I would call all very rich information environments in those areas. We had space-based assets, um what was called, you know, measurement intelligence, so ground sensors and and mobile sensors. You had signals intelligence, so things like telecommunications, and then you had very unstructured information, you know, written reports from some someone from the field, a field commander or even a, you know, a private who was observing stuff. And so we would have this kind of constant cycle of trying to think about how to help people who who are out in the field having to make really specific kinds of choices. So things like, you know, if I if I go knock on this door, I'm going to find the person I'm looking for. If we go walk mm-hmm. down the street, is it going to be safe? Um and we had to think about building, you know, either kind of custom integrated software tools or even simple methods, you know, processes for working through that data that would help that that person make that choice. And so having kind of started my career in that world and quite frankly 
cutting my teeth on the technology stack that we often think about as kind of the commodity big data stack, you know, things like Hadoop and open open source scientific computing languages and, and platforms were still relatively new. And as you can imagine, working in government, mm-hmm. uh, which is always a little bit behind the curve technology wise, it was a challenge to get some of those technologies even to be in house, but we, we were able to do that. Uh, and so ultimately when I left that, career, the thing that I was really most, you know, the thing that I had learned above all else was this idea of how to build products uh, for data analysis that actually help people in their job, like whatever the specific job is that they're doing, you know, technology for technology sake is great if you're a researcher, Mm. um, but if you're actually building products for people, you want to think about how a particular application, solution, or even method fits into the work that they're already doing. Um, And so, you know, fast forward through a lot of my career, I mean, I know we covered Natakind in the last session, uh, but basically everything that I've done since leaving DC has had a flavor of how do you build sort of data-driven products to help people who have to make decisions from data under heavy constraints. Right mm-hmm. under some constraint, you know whether that constraint is a budgetary constraint, it's a technology constraint, it's a time constraint, uh, or any combination of those things. That's what's always really interested in me, uh, interested me. Um, so fast forward to Alluvium, you know when I founded when when I started thinking about founding the company, I had um, I had the the very fresh memory in my head of the of the startup that I had just been at that had failed prior to founding it. So I was at a, at a startup here in New York City um, that was called SUM, S-U-M. And what we were doing is, is thinking about building a consumer health product, mm-hmm. actually a um, both a hardware and software product. So this was, um, the, this was an attempt to kind of move the ball forward on wearables, but really have a specific focus on data. And so the, the central idea was if you could you know, stream real-time physiological and telemetry data from someone using a, a worn wearable, how could you use all that information to tell them more about themselves than just, you know, the number of steps that they took or the number of calories that they burned, but rather try to connect a multi-dimensional view of, of health to be able to answer things like, well, if you if you do take this many steps and you do have a heart rate of X, how does that affect your sleep? Mm-hmm. Or how does it? How does some combination of exercise and um, and eating affect your you know general mood and things like that? Really trying to have this kind of whole health view. Um, and the thing there I was trying to do, which kind of carries through this, is think about you know supporting a person who wants to make health decisions for themselves based mm-hmm. on this information, with a constraint being you know time and focus and you know obviously doing analysis on their own data. Unfortunately, when that company uh, was unsuccessful, you know, I kind of walked away from it with two realizations. One, that the technology that we had been thinking about with respect to doing the kind of data analysis, and in particular there was a kind of focus on, um, you know, this dimensionality reduction problem of all these different inputs. It was how do you do distributed learning from many different sensors out in the real world. There was some real interesting work that unfortunately we were no longer going to be able to do because Mm. of the because of the consequences of that business. But the other the other thing that I learned was that even if we had done a really great job of solving that problem, let's just imagine that we had mm-hmm. built the sort of perfect technology platform and we had an amazing product team. So I know that the, the consumer product would have been great. I think the consumer IoT market, um, certainly back in 2015, and I would make the argument that even still today, mm-hmm. is very, very immature. 
um, particularly with respect to, you know, what does a consumer actually want to get out of the data that these devices are producing? Uh, I think beyond the sort of novelty of knowing things like step counts or even, um, you know, things like a connected home or values inside of some of those things, but um, not, not something that kind of provides a core business proposition. And so as I walked away from that, and started doing some research and going out in, in the world and meeting folks from different parts of, you know, the sort of broader IoT space. Mm-hmm. What became clear is that the industrial space, the kind of industrial IoT, um, was a place where they did not have any of the problems that the consumer space had with respect to kind of data generation, data collection, um, certainly with respect to business problems, well-articulated business problems, and value. And so the kind of spark for Alluvium and the journey to building the company was, you know, a long career in thinking about building products to, to help people. And then the sudden, not sudden, but the, the eventual realization that the kinds of technology problems that I've become interested in over the course of the last, you know, four or five years were best suited to solve problems for people who were working in these, in, in these industries. Um, and as I said, those two ideas kind of came together and that was really the spark for the company. Interesting. So, I think so what you were saying is about uh, sensory data and then utilizing that uh, to provide analysis. The first thing that comes to mind is health, like health is primarily mm-hmm. and, and you, you're talking about even like some of the health stats. That would, um, so what made you think of uh, industrial sector as, as, your, as your first line of attack when it, when it comes to sort of um, this, this particular capability? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, it's a great question, and there's probably you know there's sort of a there's a practical answer to that, and then and partly a personal one. You know, the personal one is that you know quite frankly, I I'd, I'd been burned a little bit from the previous startup where we were focusing on on healthcare and consumer healthcare, and so um, I think I was a bit cynical about the opportunity that would be there, and 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 I would certainly agree that there is a tremendous amount of opportunity there, but I think the the market, the regulatory regime, and the and the access to data mm. make it very hard for someone like me who really wants to think about building you know technology products from data inside of that. So um, it was not something that I, I decided to pursue. Uh, and then on the other side, the practical side is that you know the industrial space doesn't really suffer from any of those problems and has tremendously you know granular data generation. And if you just think about, you could sort of excuse me, you could sort of name your process or your industry there, whether it's in the energy industry and in manufacturing and logistics. Um, all of these industries are highly sophisticated and getting more sophisticated with respect to how they generate data. Um, but the the gap between that data acquisition and sophistication of process and I think what, uh, particularly at the time, kind of incumbent software providers were doing around analytics seem to be getting broader and broader. Uh, And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think you always think about, well, what is, what is the, what is the shortest path to 
product market fit or, mm. or, or where, where are the real problems that need solving that and you know, the sort of opportunity space. And that was the, that was the bet that I made was that essentially we would want to focus on these industries where they, they sort of had these, these, these multiple dimensions of opportunity. Interesting. Uh, couldn't agree more. I think that's a, mm. right. Uh, nicely said. So now let's, let's talk about as an entrepreneur, what it is like to have an IoT startup, like some of the challenges that you're seeing currently and mm-hmm. that you have seen as you are uh, brewing it up. So, yeah, I mean, a great question. Lots of lots of ways to think about attacking this. I think on the challenges side, there's, you know, sort of roughly three categories of challenges. We start with the product, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, you know, I think one of the things that's really important when you want to go ahead and obviously start a company and then the next step is build a product or, or you, you have an idea around a product and build a company is, you know, what is that kind of narrow focus of product that you can build that keeps you kind of moving forward? And the, the example that I always like to give is, is or I guess the reference really is, is not on the entrepreneurial side, on the academic side. So when I was in, in my PhD, uh, we would have, you know, discussions about deciding you know, what were you going to do for your dissertation. And probably the most influential piece of advice I got was from a professor at NYU who was standing in front of a big whiteboard mm. and he took a marker and he drew a huge circle, like as big of a circle as he could draw on the whiteboard. And he said, this is the entire space in which you could, you know, of problems that you could try to address. And then he took that marker, put it down and got a really fine tip marker and he put a little dot and he said, this is an area that you can focus on. He put a little dot there and then he drew as tight a circle around that dot as you could focus. And he Mm -hmm. said, if you can expand everyone's knowledge of that problem by this much, you'll be a very successful and you'll have a successful dissertation. Um, And I think that's exactly true of product development, right? Particularly, you know, tech and entrepreneurs, you think about really focusing in. And so, you know, right off the bat for us, challenges were, you know, how many problems do we want to try and solve? Um, in the IoT, there's an obvious problem of hardware. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to build your own hardware? Well, that was an easy one for me. No, mm. I don't have any knowledge mm. of that. I don't have any comparative mm. advantage in thinking about doing that. And I have my own opinions about whether there's even a lot of comparative advantage for anyone to think about doing that. Um, you know, do we want to build you know general purpose analytics platforms, or mm. do we want to build products? For me, it was let's focus on a specific set of products. Let's not try to compete with platforms and let's try to work ourselves. And and, and really, the the context of all these things is, you know, building a product from the position of strength that you have as a team, and figuring out what the shortest path is to that. And and even in that, I mean, certainly we, you know, we we had to work our way through some of that, that and we can talk about that as well. But even initially, just thinking about, you know, what are the things that we do well. What are, the, what are the ideas that we have that are unique and what is our point of view on building that? So that's a big one. Um, I think the second one is obviously around kind of the market and 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 what parts of the market do you want to interact with? You say mm-hmm. IoT, that's a huge mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. You say industrial IoT, that's a smaller but very, very big mm-hmm. space. And then even within that, there are many different industrial verticals and you can get really specific on one. Uh, so... Part of that is just going out and learning, you know, if you figure out that first step in terms of product focus, where is that point of view on on using, you know, say machine learning going to have the biggest value? Um, and that is a process of, uh, for us because me personally and, and nobody else who, who was there in the beginning of, of starting the company, 
company really had any deep subject matter expertise on the industrials market. And so we had to, by, you know, force of personality and kind of you know, entrepreneurial guerrilla warfare, get out there and, and try to learn that answer and, and ask people, go get meetings that we didn't deserve to get and, and, and interview folks that, that were willing to spend time with us and, and kind of start to whittle down on a focus area, which ultimately for us has become kind of process manufacturing, continuous automation systems in both the energy and, and material manufacturing and chemicals industry. Um, but that was a journey, right? And that was mm -hmm. that's been a challenge. And then the third challenge, which every where every startup, every entrepreneur faces is a competitive one. You know, mm -hmm. how do you differentiate yourself within the market? What are the what are the things about the first two, you know, your product perspective and and the market that you're going after that makes you stand out in any market? And and obviously the the IoT market is immature mm. to a certain extent. The industrial IoT market, I think, is maybe even a little is, is certainly immature, but it's very competitive now, mm. and, and it's competitive on many dimensions. You know, it's competitive on a dimension of of you know incumbent platforms um, versus new technology platforms. It's a, it's competitive on a on a products versus services dimension, you know, companies that like us that 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 build products versus companies that provide product driven services, and the end customers of these are are also very new to the market because the market hasn't existed for a very long time, and so most of the folks who are who are out there, you know, who who are potential buyers, some of them have very little context for what they're doing. And in fact, mm. it, what's useful for me is because I've had the opportunity to, you know, work across different industries as they kind of grow into data science and machine learning as a discipline with as a sort of business discipline, I can kind of see where, you know, the energy industry is making some of the same mistakes that the ad the ad advertising and media industry made ten years ago. And so thinking about, you know, how are, are they, you know, for for example, Thinking about this question of you know how much how much of this problem do we want to solve by by working with a vendor versus how mm. much of this problem do we think we can solve internally, uh, and so I think those three areas are are the the biggest challenges and and they're certainly not unique to us and not unique to the IoT but there's there's very specific parts of them that that we think about. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. So it, it's funny, like, so when you were um, describing your, and by the way, thank you so much for going going mm -hmm. over that. It recalled me, like I was recalling one of the conversation I had with uh, one of the hydroelectric power plant manufacturer. So I, I went to um, one of their sites and then, and I was talking about this idea of uh, consolidating their data so so they can capture more information and they can optimize and they can uh, try to figure out the failure rates even before they they occur and all that all that good stuff and he showed me mm -hmm. one thing so he showed me he said Vishal let's look at that particular small boiler and said let's let me put that boiler number in, in my inventory list and there comes about I think um, about 170 parts that this boiler is using and then each part is uh, made by some manufacturer and mm. they're all put together and banded together the, to, to make it work. So, so he said that my paranoia um, as, as, as an entrepreneur or as, as, or as, as a leader in this organization right. is what, 
so every vendor is different it's so scattered around uh, of all, like all these uh, gadgets come with their own sort of nuances and they don't often talk to each other right and and now you talk you're talking to me about um, getting the data feed and 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 mm. capturing all all doing that so he said that whenever i go to um, these interesting startup communities and and and, and i see this beautiful amazing companies that can really i like it brings tears to my eyes at what it could do it what it could do to my my company but i can't freaking move an inch on that because right. of this vendor limitation what would you say to that guy what would you say to that that particular executive that who's on the fence of hey maybe i'll not be able to penetrate this yeah and and that that specific scenario is something that we run into frequently and mm-hmm. i think you know part of it is there's there's a curve of adoption around either you know cloud migration within companies or better underlying infrastructure and better tools for being able to connect that's happening but for many companies it's not um and you know for us we we focus on a part of the market where that barrier to entry is a little lower Right. Mm. So if they're, you know, we work with companies where, you know, there's sort of a bare minimum to working with Alluvium where, you know, you have to be able to get data out of your system. Mm. And, you know, if you can't get data out of your system, then, you know, we're, mm. again, we're not the infrastructure providers. Mm. We're not the hardware providers. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, if two years ago, if you imagine a kind of normally distributed uh, sort of sophistication metric, technical sophistication metric over our customers, maybe we were dealing mostly with the 80th percentile. Mm. Now, 2018, we're probably dealing more with like the 50th percentile of having access and that line is constantly moving back. Um, but to really kind of think more specifically about this question, you know, the easiest way to show value is to talk to a customer about like, what is what is the one problem that you wish you could solve? And you, mis- you mm. mentioned one that, that comes up a lot, which is this, I- this idea of sort of predictive maintenance. Mm. And for almost any company that we would talk to, you know, and power generation is actually a, a space that we worked in, there will be an incident or, or some series of incidents that have caused that organization a lot of pain. And I'm talking mm. about, you know, either the, 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 the top three super majors in the oil and gas industry down to a local locally administered um, you know power plant mm. every single one of those those companies will have something that really hurt them you know economically mm. um, internally or or literally you know was a was a catastrophic incident that that had real loss associated with it mm. and if you can say well let's use that as a test because you, you all, everybody here sitting around the table knows exactly what's going to happen here. And if our tool can show you something that you didn't know or show you how it would have gotten you to a, a, a better or safer outcome, then in some sense, the technology will sell itself, right? You'll be able to, because everybody knows this situation. And, and, and so starting folks from a position of, well, whatever, what's the thing that really hurts you? in the past mm-hmm. and and is that something that you want to try and prevent in the future uh that's a great place to start and then you know then the rest of it kind of fits into well how would this tool have actually fixed it in the situation that we're working on and again from a product development perspective that's a constant mm-hmm. flow of you know product development feature um feature prioritization to be able to integrate into a workflow of a customer set of customers without having to dramatically alter their day-to-day because because at the end of the you know at the in the end that is the poison pill right for new technology Mm. if 
there's too much expectation of changing the way someone works um, in some fundamental way, it's going to be incredibly challenging to fix that. And that is very true in the industrial space where, you know, you're dealing with the history. You know, I think oftentimes we, we're, we're very biased in, in the software industry because our, our workflows will change very rapidly. You know, you know, think about it, it wasn't that long. You know, GitHub seems like it's uh, second nature but I remember, you know, at, when I graduated college, nobody used GitHub, and mm. now it's second nature. And so we, you know, these things change very quickly. In the industrial space, they have hundreds of years of history of how they do work. Many, many, many of those things have not changed. And so you have to have a lot of respect for that and a lot of humility for that when you build these products. Interesting. And one more thinking. Uh, one more thing that I was thinking about is so um, that's associated with analytics is automation. And the moment you talk about automation in industrial settings, so there's another sort of, um, there's a paranoia about automation yeah. in, in, in many aspects, right? Because many of these industries are run by um, unionized labor workers and, and what and what not. So we get into this area of, so it, it and, and, and I surprisingly find, find myself into a lot of this conversation, which, which is, I don't know if rightly so or wrongly so, that um, analytics somehow means automation in some aspect. So probably my leadership won't entertain that or at least it will be dissed off. Mm -hmm. What has been your experience from your vantage point as an entrepreneur um, trying to sort of reach out to these these, yeah. these these businesses? Well, our 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 experience and our observation has been almost identical. You know, I think they're rightfully so uh, a lot of, you know, FUD, fear, uncertainty mm. and doubt associated mm. with Anything that has a flavor or, or presents as automation, both you know mechanically or in software, uh, and I think more specifically, anything that has automation related to decision making for mm. either operators or analysts is met with a, a high degree of skepticism and recalcitrance. Mostly because if you know if you think about the history of the industrial space going back a few decades, you know. There, there, there is a long history of failure. Right? Mm. Going back to you know expert expert knowledge systems to you know the AI winter to more recent approaches with you know large large software companies building kind of black magic tools. These folks have experienced a lot, and they know that unless unless they can kind of open up what's going on inside these systems. They won't trust them. And in in the in the downstream oil and gas space, in refineries, there's a there's a sort of mantra of what's called trust but verify. Right. Mm. So and this was how you say having nothing to do with with software. If you if you're an operator in a refinery, your tool that tool might be a gauge on the wall has a number on it, and you have no reason not to trust that. But you verify, mm. trust but verify. And for us, we've thought a lot about both in terms of the engagement we have with our customers and the way that we build products is kind of circling around this idea of trust but verify. Mm. You know, when you build a, you know, we use a, we use many different kind of machine learning and, and AI techniques in what we do, but the product should always be able to expose to the operator a sense of why the system made a choice. And more mm. importantly, allow for that operator to evaluate that choice that the system made and improve it. You know, mm -hmm. in our in our kind of flagship product, which is called Alluvium Primer, the general, the the primary user for that 
is someone who's managing resources in an industrial operation. You know, either a plant mm -hmm. manager, a senior industrial engineer, someone whose job has a regular cadence of having to know, okay, I show up to work at seven o'clock in the morning, I need to understand what happened the night before, and what they can use Primer to do is consolidate that information that was, or that data that was generated overnight, and then in an automated way, allow for a prioritized list of things that are essentially uh, suggestions that they should be paying attention to. You know, this mm. part of the compressor looks like it's a little wobbly today. Um, this set of data is uh, unstable, as we would say. It is unstable as, as uh, with respect to how it usually looks. Uh, but it doesn't change how they do their job because mm. they're still going to run stand-up. They're still going to marshal resources around this. But what it does is it just makes that process more efficient and allows for them to you know tell the system when it's wrong also allows for them to tell the system when they're right and so mm -hmm. when they show up the next day they have an expectation that the system will be a little bit smarter it'll know a little bit more about their particular use case and that that is essentially well it's two things sociologically it's a trust building exercise mm -hmm. right? it is a is a it is a, a sort of programmatic trust building exercise in the product but then algorithmically, it's feature engineering, right? Mm. We're, we're leveraging the expertise and knowledge of that industrial engineer so that the system now goes from a, say, fully unsupervised way of analyzing data to a semi-supervised one and then goes forward iteratively from there. And so the customer or the user never has to know that. In fact, they're kind of a passive feature engineer in the process, mm. but they... work a little bit better okay we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast interesting so um i think interesting point so i was thinking about from your perspective what is an iot ready company so like if like any company that deals with you right they need they should know some nuances of what 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 you're supposed to deliver a value on so what do you say if i'm an if i'm an industrialist trying to understand that um, i want to use my data to to help me uh, minimize my losses and, and maximize my productivity so what do you call from your vantage point an iot ready company that i i'm qualified i should talk to you right um you know, the answer may be somewhat counterintuitive because I think, you know, mm -hmm. you, 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 might all, you might start from a position of saying, well, it's a technology problem. You know, mm -hmm. have you instrumented these this operation? Are your employees uh, kind of software competent in a sense that software is a big part of their job? Mm -hmm. I actually think that, that sort of neither of those are, are primary challenges to being an IoT ready or, or say ready to work with Alluvium. Mm -hmm. um, because the reality is there isn't an industrial vertical that isn't a data-driven business and hasn't been a data-driven business probably for the last several decades. So that, that part we can kind of put to the side. There's, there's, there, there can be a fair amount of discussion around the level of sophistication there, but let's just put mm -hmm. that to the side. Um, the, the individuals working in those businesses, whether they're operators managing, re, managing facilities and resources or folks on the IT side and the support staff, they're incredibly sophisticated as well and they have deep, deep subject matter expertise in their areas. I think to be IoT ready or to work with us, you have to have a 
a well-articulated problem to solve. Mm -hmm. And so we think about, you know, the low-hanging fruit or whatever your metaphor is. I think I like to extend that metaphor to include this notion of like, well, whatever, whatever a piece of that hanging fruit is kind of heaviest with data and value to you as a business, then, then if you have that, you're ready. Because if you have a problem that you want solved, you say, okay, I know that if this particular asset or this operation, if we can reduce downtime by 30%, I'll save X millions of dollars. If you've already done that calculation, and the vast majority of these companies know that to the penny, right? They know exactly how much these downtime, a downtime incident will cost them. And if they've connected that to data that they're already very likely collecting, well, then 80% of the challenge is, is finished. Now the question is, what is the best way to actually leverage that data and what is the best product to help improve the operator's workflow mm. to prevent that from happening? And then that's, for us, that's, that's, that's the pitch, right? Can, is Alluvium the best product to solve that problem for us or is it somebody else? And, and that's our challenge to solve. But as a company, I think once you can answer, once you have answers to those questions, you're ready to enter the market because even even today there there is a broad there are broad perspectives on how to solve these problems. Interesting. So um, now let's let's go a, a bit tactical on your journey. So mm -hmm. uh, not getting into the names as such, but yeah. um, in your experiences with businesses that that you're working or serving right now, what are some of the challenges that you are seeing uh, when it comes to integrating their like their industrial sort of setups with with your uh, tool. So what are some of the challenges that, that you see that like um, that you can share? Yeah, I think, you know, from a technology point of view, there there does there is a kind of uh, there's a certain heterogeneity to platforms and where people have data. Yeah, mm. it, it's it's not that different from other industries. You know, there's this mm. notion of of uh, you know, siloing of data. Most of these companies are large corporations, so there's a fair amount of, of institutional uh, set of barriers that exist between, um, you know, the folks who are actually doing the work in the field, who has access to what data, and then maybe who's a decision maker around, around you know, deploying or building this stuff. That's not, you know, that's, that's perennial, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're building an enterprise business, those things are always exist and they have particular set of foibles for, you know, industrial, industrial customers as they would in any industry. Um, I think, you know, the, the more kind of first order uh, challenge or barrier is, is, you know, sort of our, where where are folks in terms of being convinced that that these products actually have value? And by that I mean, mm. is machine learning something that can really add to my business? Mm. Um, you know, as we were saying before, I mean, the, most of this has to do with is a is a company in a position where they're ready? They're sort of beyond the point of experimentation. Mm. Um, what we found last, you know, I actually have I've seen a real shift from 2017 to 2018, where in 2017 many companies were kind of just on the proof of concept stage mm -hmm. where they were willing to, to experiment. They mostly wanted to do these experiments to prove internally that there was some, there was some there there, but mm -hmm. I don't think they weren't really quite frankly, they weren't buying a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that has to do with their own institutional perspectives and, and how they like to, 
to roll things out. Part of it had to do with what they were hearing from their sort of long associated vendors, either the OEMs who were providing them infrastructure or the again, the kind of incumbent software providers who are saying, oh, no, 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 we can do all this stuff. Don't worry about talking to those startups or those companies mm. you've never heard of. Uh, but, you know, now in 2018, I've seen a real shift. I think one of the things that has played to our advantage and probably to other startups in, in kind of in our vicinity mm. is that most of the large industrial companies, I think, are beginning to shy away from only engaging with, say, large management consulting companies. You know, they're there's a long tradition of kind of buying custom design software from the large management consulting companies to solve for a specific problem. But I think, you know, the leaders in the industrial space have kind of looked around at their peers in other industries and seen the value of buying, whether they're SaaS software products or, you know, on-prem deployed software products that solve one problem that has a lot of value mm. for them really well, and they can just have a subscription to it. That, that I think they, you know, the sort of economics of that are pretty obvious and they're beginning to move much more in the direction of that. Uh, and I think of course there's, there's also been more of an internalization of data science as a discipline inside these organizations. I think in 2017, it would have been pretty, pretty rare for me to meet or engage with someone at, at a potential customer who held the title of data science and certainly mm -hmm. very rare for me to meet someone who was a senior manager with the title of, you know, head of data science at X company. 2018, that's changing a lot, whether it's more whole teams who are data science teams internally who kind of come with a perspective of, and, and maybe are like us and actually are, are more formally trained data science folks and not industry experts, or actually companies who are out building management structures and, and, and whole centers of excellence throughout the data science. All of that, I think, has really moved the industry in a direction where you know, whether it's Alluvium or, or other companies in the space become much more palatable to begin working with us. Interesting. And, and what has been your observation when it comes to data science talent pool that, that these companies have? Like, so do you find yourself in the, in the business of educating these businesses, what to do with you? Or do you find that these companies are proficient? Like typically nowadays in industrial uh, manufacturing or industrial companies are, are, proficient enough with all these keywords and they know how to engage with you smartly. Yeah, I so I actually think the comparison to healthcare, it's, it's something that I, so I was just down in Houston last week um, at a machine learning and oil and gas conference. And so I was essentially having a sort of version of this conversation a few times with different people and kind of thinking about how, uh, let's just say the energy industry in particular has begun to mature and move towards data science as a kind of standalone discipline. Mm. Um, if I think about some of the some of the challenges that existed in um, the healthcare space that I observed, in, in part from the previous startup and then other 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 opportunities and exposure to it, there there's there's kind of the language problem, which is are we are we attempting to solve the same problem with a different set of tools, but to the same end, and so one one person's um, you know. Uh, set of linear model, you know, you know, linear models is another person's decision tree or or, mm. or, or random forest. And so, how do how do we kind of mm. combine those or or overlap those so people understand them? Um, and then there's just a bias of method. And so, I think you know the the interesting thing in in healthcare is you know there there's a long tradition of kind of understanding how 
biological systems work and and computational biologists approaching these things with um, you know norm known formulas known approaches so thinking about these biological systems but what machine learning knows how to do is kind of take a bunch of data particularly data that has labels that says you know this person has some pathology and this person doesn't and we can build up a, a model that represents how to predict for a particular pathology um, without any of that context I think it's hard for folks who have deep training using a specific set of tools to suddenly say like oh we're going to use this other thing that doesn't have all that context but works really well for certain sets of problems um, and actually trust that and in the in the industrial spaces, so particularly in the oil and gas space, if you think about a long tradition of um, physics-based modeling, um, geologic modeling, simulation, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna stick a hole in the ground, it's gonna cost you a couple hundred million dollars to do it, um, and you've done your simulation and your modeling using a certain set of tools, basically for the entire history of that business, and then suddenly some comes someone someone comes along and says, listen we would approach this problem in a slightly different way with more abstract approaches to it, not having the context for the physics, but it performs really, really well in some cases better for some sets and some classes of problems. There's a lot of friction there. And so, you know, I think for the industrial space and not to pick on oil and gas, I think this is true mm. for lots mm. of different kinds of, of industries. There's that barrier of, you know, are we, are we building a data science team internally and effectively trying to convert folks who used to have titles of, mm. you know, uh, well site engineer or SCADA analyst, and now we're calling them data scientists because we're going to slap a, you know, a Jupyter notebook in front of them and they're going to start doing mm. work differently? Or are we going to are we going to build an internal team from folks who maybe have little to no knowledge of the particular industry that we work on, but are really well suited to think about the, the sort of statistical and technical approaches to that. Um, and of course, the answer, as you can probably guess, is you're going to probably do both, right? Because these, mm. these, these companies need to work as teams. And then, um, you know, hopefully for our sake and, and other companies, there's obviously uh, there, there's a role for outside vendors to come in who have specific tools that can support these folks. Uh, and it's going to be a kind of team sport, as uh, DJ Patil would say. Right. Interesting. And now fr from your entrepreneurial uh, sort of vantage point, if you look at these industries um, and, and they're sort of... Uh, uh, creating this sort of adopting this IoT related capabilities. Mm -hmm. What are some of the um, challenges challenges that you are seeing these businesses going through when it comes to adopting these IoT capable capable sort of models and and technologies and capabilities? What are some of the some that that you can you can sort mm. of uh, suggest or say? Yeah, so I think adoption is you know. It's sort of the classic business problem, which is, you know, where, 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 where is the seed of adoption coming from? Is it coming mm -hmm. top down? And so is this an initiative that's driven by an executive level choice of direction to say, you know, we are now going to use IoT as a, mm -hmm. as a way of achieving X sets of goals? Or is it more of a bottom-up thing where, you know, folks are, are kind of looking around and saying, you know, we have some, you know, to use my example and we have some really well-defined business problems and we you know like 
you know, the men and women who I met last week in Houston at this conference, you know, they're working in these oil and gas companies, you know, they say, listen, we just went to a conference and we saw a bunch of examples of how this could work for us. And we think it, we think it matches our problem set as well. And, and do we bring it in? I think there's, there's challenges in both directions, right? So what we've seen is that if a company has a kind of executive mandate, a typical path that they will take to try to, to adoption is they, okay, well, we're going to stick some resources in a group. We're going to do a reorg, right? Because that's what mm. big corporations do really well. So we're going to do this reorg and we're going to say, okay, we have this kind of center of innovation or they probably already have an innovation mm. center. Mm. And now we're going to, we're going to dedicate some resources to industry 4.0 IOT. Um, and then there's people in that business who or sorry, people within that 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 business unit or that part of the organization that now go out in the market and they email people like me and they say, hey, we've heard some great things about Alluvium. We'd love to chat to see what you're doing. And from the entrepreneur's perspective, my experience with those folks is that they're really good at wasting your time, but they're mm. not super good at, at connecting you to real business problems because they don't own any of them. Right. They don't. And in, in some cases for folks where where I, I've had better experiences, maybe they actually know specifically, mm. you know, a, a senior person at a business unit who has told them, hey, this is a problem that we need solved. But there's still a long path between that mm. and budget and, you know, getting getting something executed. So, you know, the top down approach, I think it's a little bit sometimes it's a little bit too circuitous to actually get to the business mm. problem. Um, and probably, as you can imagine, the sort of inverse problem exists when you go bottom up. So if it's, mm. if it's someone who's, you know, if it's an individual sitting on a team who says, hey, I'd love to try this technology, they talk to their boss and they say, you know, I was at this conference and I heard Drew Conway speaking and, you know, product seems really interesting. We'd love to maybe try it. Well, if there is no corporate in mm. engagement going up mm. then it's challenging for that person to kind of move beyond that kind of small POC experiment and so you know mm. you kind of get in the cycle and you know from an entrepreneur's perspective you have to get really really sharp at qualifying your customers like do they have the features of a customer that is actually ready to move beyond just a, a proof of concept or a trial right and for us you know, there's some there's some basic technical stuff. Do you have data? Can you get that data to us into our product? But there's a big part of that that's timing, right? It's like, are mm -hmm. you actually going to start a a trial? Are you gonna are you gonna start a light up a subscription this quarter? Right? Is is this an immediate need for you? Have you know, as I was saying before, have you mm -hmm. felt a pain strong enough that you're willing to actually do something? Um, and then we even have more specific stuff around. You know, is there someone at the organization? who is kind of the budget authority, right? Someone mm. who can who can sign up that, but and that's pretty basic, but then is there someone who's kind of the data authority? Is there someone that we can go to who we know is able to unlock this information and get it to us? And you know, there's, if we have this pathway, this kind of decision tree, then we say, okay, we've qualified a customer. But you know, mm. many customers fall out of that. And again, that's part of that distribution that I mentioned before is like, you know, it used to be that lots of customers were falling out of that because we just couldn't find those people yet. But now as the calendar has turned to 2018, I think there's there's been a, a change where we're able to work with more companies, get them through that process. Interesting. So now let's focus a, a few minutes on, on your startup so, so, uh, and you, you as an entrepreneur in that. So in your experience so far, getting into Alluvium versus now at Alluvium, so what has... Mm -hmm. What have you seen uh, about the about the industry and your your startup's interaction with it? So I think you know we we have a very specific point of view on what the value of 
you know, advanced analytics, machine learning, AI, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, has. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my experience has been the challenge is kind of moving from this abstract notion. And, and for us, I sort of mentioned it briefly, you know, we think the real value for, you know, a man or a woman whose primary job it is, is to kind of understand and have situational awareness around some complex continuous automation system. You know, their real challenge is this, um, is, is actually being able to like compute on all this data at any given moment and then make a decision from it. And you know, the way that I often talk about it is there's this sort of natural tension that exists in any problem where there's asymmetry between data and decision maker is, you know, you could either dedicate resources to dis discovering novelty in that data. So there's like, you know, they have this ocean of data or I have this big data lake or whatever you like. And every day or, or all the time during the day, I have to be able to pull out the nuggets from that that are actually have real information in them. And so you could dedicate a lot of resources to, to thinking about solving that problem. You could be a person or a team of people who literally have to think about that all the time. Um, but then there's the other side of that problem, the other side of the tension, which is reasoning about what that change actually means and then making decisions from it, right? And so if we think about uh, what we think about at Alluvium is how do we build products that kind of ease the tension in the direction of reasoning away mm -hmm. from having to do this discovery process all the time? Because a, a well-designed well learning system should be able to ferret out all of the nuggets or at least most of the nuggets with high confidence based on all these input data because that's what a machine comparative advantages, right? That's a machine can scale that kind of learning very easily where a person can't. Mm -hmm. But a, but a machine is terrible at reasoning about it, right? Particularly if you think about it in unsupervised context, like a machine has no context for mm -hmm. what that change means. But a person, particularly a person who has deep, you know, industry knowledge and subject matter expertise on these things can do that very quickly. And so, you know, how we have attempted to kind of differentiate ourselves is by leaning in really heavily on this idea of provide a system that distills this information down to a single set of metrics, which what we would call a stability score. Operation of any complex system. Um, and using that stability score to build products that allow for the rapid evaluation of what any specific you know, novel finding or change in that system looks like. And so with Alluvium Primer, as I mentioned before, the approach then is how do we take all of this data, all this heterogeneous data from a platform. So, you know, staying mm. with the refinery example, how do we take all this pressure data, this thermal data, you know, information from the compressor, information on power generation, flow, all this information, um, all of which an operator would have access to, but none of which then any individual operator, even a well-trained team is going to be able to observe all the time at any day build a system that can learn from that data in an unsupervised way to provide back to those operators a simple index that when it changes, particularly when it changes in some systematic way, provides an alert or provides a reference that that mm. operator can then look at and then very quickly evaluate and say, yep, that's something important. We need to dedicate resources to go figuring out what that is. Or you know what, that's not important. You know, either it's a false positive or it's something that mm. we, we know is going to happen. And then that interaction allows the system to get smarter, right? It's like interesting that that's kind of the breadth of it. And so if you do something really specific like that and solve a real person's problem without trying to do too much, we've had success kind of pointing in that direction.
Interesting. And and so um, when you start something like Alluvium, when you start a startup uh, in, in, in IoT space, you can attack pretty much every goddamn use cases under under the sun, right? So how do you how do you pick your favorites? How do you pick your first few that that you think that you're gonna base your, your startup on? I you know I think it's this this again this is true of of every startup. You know there's there's this kind of you have you have to experiment and cycle and find this equilibrium point between whatever your particular point of view or comparative advantage is as a technology builder and mm -hmm. what the real problem is or the specific problem is that you can as quickly as possible discover in the market or maybe you have some, maybe you have your own unique perspective because you come from that market as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. to try to solve, right? And I think the rare case is when you have someone who comes from a particular market, has deep subject matter expertise kind of knows the problems really well and then also is really really well equipped to solve that problem technically that's why i see most success you know many successful startups will have a balance of founders where you probably have both and they can work together um, in our case you know i had a i had a pretty specific point of view on what i thought the value of machine learning would be again it was kind of focusing on this you know for lack of a better term kind of dimensionality reduction mm. problem and then we, as quickly as we could, and certainly I wish we had done it faster, because you, you know, the one, the one thing that you always have against you in a startup is time. Mm -hmm. Getting to a specific problem that we could solve, and a really a specific person that we could solve it for, being able to, being able to understand what the size of the market was around those people, and then convincing, you know, investors and customers that there was a there was real value creation to be made there, and then just like heads down build it. Interesting. So, if if I am a startup uh, trying to build and build an um, IoT startup, who are the so, sort of warm bodies I could pitch? Who I could bring? Um, or who could actually back uh, a startup like me? Like, do you have any perspective on uh, fellow entrepreneurs who are trying to sell their product and they want to get their POCs out? Who sh who should? Who are the right candidate that that they could they could talk to? Uh, in terms of what types of customer should they be looking yeah. for yeah. so you know this is going to vary i think based on industry so mm. we probably have the most experience in the in the oil and gas space particularly on the downstream side so i can speak to mm. that a little bit and and and, mm. and this and this is this is likely true of most most cases um you know so let's just talk i'm, I'm going to say specifically on the enterprise side because that's the side that i know so an enterprise industrial iot um you know, it's a very top-heavy set of industries, right? So, you know, mm. the, the, most of the most of the companies are in the Fortune 500 or 100 large, massive organizations. And so, the you know, the advice that I would give is, you know, if there's a problem that you can solve that you can solve that is sort of universally felt, not the not just at the top, but also at the middle and potentially smaller players within that industry. You'll always have a shorter path to success if you're not working with one of the the big made you know big major mm. majors. And unfortunately, in the industrial space, you know, you talk about this this, this idea of like whale hunting. You know, you're going mm. for the big com companies, um, and it's always challenging to do that. Um, uh, and on the industrial side, you're almost most of the companies are whales because it's mm. just, you know the the economies of scale there are pretty asymmetrical, and so most of the companies are whales. But there are degrees of whales, right? There's mm. like you know there's the blue whales, and then there's the beluga whales. And so you know I, what what we have found is that if you if you can find if you can find that equilibrium or that that optimal point where the company 
has not yet dedicated internal resources to solving the problem or even problems adjacent to it, you will you will bypass this kind of constant problem of, you know, should we buy this or should we build it internally? Because the top heavy company, you know, the big, big blue whales in this discussion are always going to think about solving the problem themselves, you know, partly because of right. the, re right. the resources that they have. And I think partly because of, quite frankly, um, you know, you know, ego or, 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 you know, they're very successful. So they, they've been successful. They believe they can continue to be successful. Uh, and so I think that the warm bodies, you know, as you say, are, are the ones that are under the most constraint that are mm -hmm. most resource constrained, most time constrained. And so you always have a shorter path there. Um, and that's certainly been our experience. And, and I think it, it's probably true, you know, in most enterprise businesses, but certainly those that try to sell to industrials. Interesting. So, um, in, in, in your journey so far, so like, uh, if, if we say, and we're almost at the end of the conversation, so mm -hmm. Drew, and thank you so much for being very candid on that. So, uh, what is one thing that you are surprisingly, like, uh, one of the thought that you, is your assumption that, that, that burst or bursted. So mm -hmm. what do you call that when you venture into something like Alluvium and, and standing now today, some of the assumptions that, that weren't true or, or has changed? Yeah. So I think we, you know, we, I, I had a, I had one really strong product assumption that was basically totally wrong. And so when I first started the company and again, thinking about this sort of technical perspective of dimensionality reduction, hmm. my idea was, well, if I think about all the constituents in a typical industrial company and we kind of break these up into three pieces. So there's the person who's standing inside the operation, right? So there's that, there's that man or that woman who's standing on on the refinery platform their biggest challenge is one of kind of time compression how do i get to an answer as quickly as possible because the thing that i'm 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 most challenged by is my ability to kind of compute on all this data very quickly and then take an action so i can prevent some bad thing from happening right we my perspective was that is the core constituency that we want to focus on we want to be able to deploy software inside the refinery or inside the mm. facility so that we can do this kind of real time you know what they would call edge analytics right the term of art that exists in the iot mm. is edge right. analytics and i we spent a lot of time you know the better part of the first year of the company's life really focusing on on trying to to not only build that product but also sell or get POCs in that direction. Um, and it took me a long time to really hear the feedback that we were getting from the market, which was in one direction, really love the, uh, the idea, the approach of the stability score and this kind of this, this ability to have kind of situational awareness at a high level. Um, but the institutional barriers to entry for actually getting software deployed inside those facilities was much higher than I than I had ever anticipated, and that's speaking from mm -hmm. someone who used to work, you know, in arguably the largest bureaucracy on planet Earth, the Department mm -hmm. of Defense. Uh, so it took me a long time to kind of listen to the customer, or too long, or longer than should have, and kind of listen to the customer, take a seat back, and said, "What is the problem that we can solve where that barrier doesn't exist?" And you know, without mm -hmm. going into the whole story, you know, eventually, eventually that becomes primer. We build a product around a problem where we can solve for this that where we don't have to be deployed inside the facility, and we can we can either do it in a cloud-hosted 
platform or, or we can host on-prem. Uh, that was by far the biggest challenge. And there's other, there are other mistakes that we made in kind of focusing, spending too much time with the wrong customers or um, not necessarily hiring for the right sets of, of competencies because we were chasing after the wrong mm. technical approach. Um, but again, those things always happen. Um, and you always wish you, you know, you always look back and wish you could have solved for them faster, but that's kind of the name of the game. I think the number one for us was we just misestimated our entry point. Awesome. So I think that's that's very, I, I think I shared something similar story as from my end as well, that one of the first assumption was colossally, it was like, I, I couldn't even imagine why the world is not, not conforming around what I want to sell fast enough so then I, yeah it's a it's it's painfully long and painfully more expensive realization that maybe it's i think it's just like it's just the you're i think maybe entrepreneurial debt that you have to somehow yeah. pay uh, before you get your uh, exactly. get your ass yeah. so it's just and in some sense you know many companies their 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 success is defined by how by you know leaders and and teams that can can redirect themselves in the right direction more quickly right Interesting. So with that, um, uh, Drew, thank you so much uh, for this amazing session. Before we part with, I definitely want your closing perspective on an entrepreneur trying to build an IoT startup. What are some of the word of wisdom you, you could give to that, that guy or a gal? Yeah. So, you know, in, in some sense, the whole conversation has really kind of focused around this idea of, you know, what is your what is your comparative advantage, you know, intellectually, experience-wise, or technically, and how can you use that to have a point of view that's going to solve a person's problem? I think the the mistake that I see, of, you know, many entrepreneurs make, and, and the mistake that I've made in, in my career is we focus on the businesses, and we think of businesses or industries as these, these sort of monolithic, personified entities. But they're just collections of people. And to be successful, you have to have a person love your product. And then you, that person makes other people love your product and your business grows. And so if you can focus on a person and then measure the size of, a, of an opportunity based on the number of those people who exist in an industry or, or in the market and then go build that product that solves a problem for that person, you will be successful, right? That is the, the path. You will, you will convince investors, you will convince buyers, and you will mm. be able to recruit a team because nothing, nothing creates the kind of flywheel of success like people in the world using your product and getting value out of it. And so, you know, be focused on the people who you serve. Interesting. With that said, uh, Drew, thank you so much for yet another interesting and, and amazing session. And I think it will be really useful for our, our listeners and viewers to, uh, who, are, who are trying to build or grunt through this uh, IoT startup in their journey. Uh, really, really helpful. You're, as, as I said, you're always uh, welcome back on the podcast. Love to have you back in uh, later in part in your life uh, to discuss Alluvium success and, and, and what, what you're doing. And not with, with that, wish you nothing but success and Thank you so much again for this amazing session. Well, thank you for having me. It was great, and and we'll use that. We'll use that as a placeholder for you know the next. We'll talk about the success of Alluvium in the next yes. session. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right. Uh, I
start I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it And I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on this